UX Podcast Episode 115. Hello to you all. This is UX Podcast, hosted by me, James Roy Lawson. And me, Pat Axbom. We're balancing business technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. Yay! Hmm. Which is really dark and gloomy this time of the year. I don't know if our listeners really don't, understand how dark and gloomy it is. Don't depress them. I'm not depressing them. I'm they trying to started. share my experience because, I mean... It's summer in Australia. <laughs> Today is a link show. Um, now, a link show is where um, Per and I gather together um, three articles or blog posts that we've recently found um, and, and read, because we do actually read them. Um, and then we discuss them on the show. Mm. Um, sometimes they're articles we've loved. Sometimes we're a little bit critical. Uh, but hopefully, either way, we'll, um, we'll manage to enlighten you and um, make you think a little bit. Or oh, make us think a little bit as oh, well, but I Yeah, I'm kind of presuming that we'll do something. I don't know what you'll be saying. <laughs> Um, so, um, quickly, we can give a, um, a quick run-through of the three articles sure. um, that we will be discussing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is uh, The Business of User Experience. It's written by Jonathan Beckman, who's founder of Apptourage in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The um, second one is Design Thinking Comes of Age, um, which is by um, John Colcom, um, who is the founder and director of Austin Center for Design amongst other things. Mm-hmm. And the last one is, Why Behavioral Economics is Cool and I'm Not, which is perhaps not uh, our usual type of article uh, on the show, but it's, it will be a fun one. Yeah, that's by Adam Grant, um, who is a um, professor um, at the Wharton School of Business and the author of Give and Take. Mm-hmm. Um, Before we jump into the articles, uh, if you are listening to this on the morning of December 11th, when it is released... Uh, then we will be recording a listener phone-in on the same day. So head on over to uxpodcast.com slash live and see if you can catch us live and perhaps call into the show as well. That would be truly, truly awesome. Let's do this. Okay, the business of user experience. So uh, Jonathan Beckman in this article, he's explaining why UX is good business, why it's good for you. He's, he's citing several studies he's, and he's making a case for the importance of UX and questions really why so many or so few companies invest in user experience testing. So one of the quotes that I know have been quoted on Twitter as well from this article is, by 2020, user experience will overtake price and product as the key brand differentiator. And he gives the example of Uber to show how an old idea, which is then a person paying for a car ride, can become a novel one by focusing on the experience. But really, so what's stopping companies from truly, truly uh, engaging in UX? Uh, And so he goes on to explain that UX can be really complex and involves many different disciplines and uh, designing usability into a product is a tricky endeavor. Uh, and so he moves on to explain really how the tools we're using for making prototypes and testing require a level of commitment when it comes to code integration. So he wants us to not go that far when we're testing. Uh, so because if the solution, when you, once you've gone to code, isn't doing what, what it needs to do, there are costs involved in backtracking and redoing a lot of that work. 
uh, and he quotes uh, one of the many quotes from this that has is based on research. He says that correcting a problem once you've started development costs ten times more than addressing the problem in design. Uh, and of course, Jonathan really what he, the premise for his article, I believe, is that he wants you to use Aptorash, which is one of his apps uh, or his service for for solving this and using uh, a prototype tool uh, with sketches. Yeah, I mean, we, we we get this quite a bit on the bottom of articles that we feature, <clears throat> but I we understand people do marketing, so we're gonna we're gonna gloss over that little yeah. bit. Um, well, I um. This I, I was the one that picked out this um, this article, mm-hmm. and um, what what um, got me interested in this to talk about um, was his, was the first part of it. Because the thing is, that this article is is embedded. It's got those t- um, quotes in it that you can easily tweet mm. as you know, a way of encouraging people to share, which is good. But it means that these quotes have been flying around on Twitter. Um, Partly disconnected from the article because people don't half the time they don't read the articles. Yeah, let me give you an example. Ninety-five percent of mobile apps are abandoned within a month. Eighty-five percent of UX problems can be solved by testing with five users. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that the one that kind of uh, so I suppose rattled my cage a little mm-hmm. bit um, was um, by 2020, user experience will overtake price and product as the key brand differentiator. Mm. Now, <clears throat> I've seen this kind of I've seen this kind of thing turn up quite a bit recently where it says UX is what the next big thing or UX will will kill product UX will take over from price as something very very important and all these kind of things Mm. and I've been wondering and thinking about what that really means because going back to to economic theory that in economic theory we've got we've got utility Mm -hmm. which is one of the fundamental building blocks of, of of economics um, right. And so we, you need to explain that for us. Yeah. Well, utility um, and, and marginal um, utility. This is where um, the the demand side of, of economics um, it's derived from from you um, basically getting in, utility from things that you consume. Mm-hmm. Utility is enjoyment and pleasure from consuming things, um, and um, your your total enjoyment is split between various products and services. Um, so how much you are willing to, to consume of something, um, or pay, but we'll say consume, mm-hmm. is based on the utility you get back from that consumption. Right. Um, so, so for me, I mean, I see that UX is um, another way of talking about mm-hmm. the utility or part of the utility products and services and things gives. So can you say, like, if you're given two options, then uh, what makes you decide on one over the other is that it gives you more utility? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's mm. that's the core of, of the economic mm. theory that you choose how you choose between products um, is the, the utility you derive from them because mm-hmm. um, that's how you value two things. Um, so uh, an example there would be if you got um, well if we if we take two identical digital products, yeah, um, the one with the best UX will be the one that people buy more of and get most utility from mm-hmm. because in of all of the ways they're identical. So the usability or the UX of it is the thing that gives you that added that added edge. So so that sense is exactly right. What they're talking about, the UX does make the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going back to theory a little bit again, um, so you understand it more. Um, the <clears throat> an example would be a family with this is an old example that we used to use is that you'd have like bread, and if you have twenty slices of bread and a family of four, then you might um, you might still be hungry after 20 slices of bread, it isn't enough for your family. Mm-hmm. So, so the marginal utility of getting an extra four slices of bread 
might be high, you might get a lot of extra utility from those four slices of bread because it's the difference between you going hungry and being satisfied, feeling like you're full. Mm-hmm. That's great. But then what happens if we add another four slices of bread? Then we're not going to get the same amount of utility from those extra four because now we've gone past the point of being full. Mm-hmm. Now we've got too much food. So it might even be the case that those extra four slices of bread might even have cause negative utility because you might have to get rid of them somehow. You might have to, to you know, take an extra bag of garbage away or, or mm-hmm. you know, the, the hassle of going out and feeding the birds, I don't know. There's, it might not be a plus anymore. That was like me uh, complaining earlier today that I was buying too many books because mm-hmm. each book I buy gives me something, but the more books I have, I realize I can't handle them all. Yes. <laughs> so, so next time you come to a web page even yeah. to, to buy that book, mm-hmm. part of your decision-making process is going to be that you're, you're balancing up the utility gained from yeah. buying the book and that memory of the fact that you've got so many books and you're out reading them mm-hmm. is going to weigh into your decision right? because you have less mm-hmm. utility from that extra book. Mm-hmm. Um, but even other things like t- filing your tax return digitally, um, that also has utility, even though you aren't paying anything for mm-hmm. it and even though you're, you, know, mm. you, don't, you don't feel maybe like you're enjoying mm-hmm. it so much. But um, you enjoy your enjoyment, your utility gain from filling mm-hmm. your tax return in is that you've escaped a fine or escaped mm-hmm. prison. Okay. So you've 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 escaped something, and that's then effectively the the utility from it, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which um, yeah. So you so you get enjoyment. So the problem one problem there, I suppose, is that and when we think about UX again, is you only need to do just enough UX in some cases, right? Because the pleasure just needs to exceed the pain. Uh... Well, no, the 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 utility you receive from mm-hmm. consuming something has to be more than the competitors. Than the alternative. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so you don't need to you don't need to make, make things perfect. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have perfect usability. So the mm-hmm. tax reform, mm-hmm. the tax return system online, for example, it it probably never will have really 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 good usability, because it doesn't need to. Yeah. Because the alternative of not using mm-hmm. that system is still fines or prison. Mm-hmm. So that just has to be kind of good enough to use, so that you don't think that prison's actually a good alternative. Mm-hmm. If the usability is so bad that you actually think a month in prison is good. In comparison, <laughs> then your usability is too poor. Now I'm being really, now I'm being really clinically, you know, right, in but economics. It, it, it makes this, sense. That's how it works. Anyway, so that was my that was my little kind of <laughs> economics rant, basically based on um, um, some of these things. But mm-hmm. but the article does quote, like we said, um, um, by 2020, user experience and take price as a product as a, and product as the key dif- uh, differentiators. Uh, what I'm saying there is that UX can't overtake price mm. because UX is part of utility, which is already baked into your, your, right. your willingness to use a product or buy it and so on. We do really like to blow our own horn about how important UX is. And that's basically been my problem with usability. When I first started working with it, everybody was saying, well, you have to think about users first mm. and not about the business and the technology. Uh, but that's not true, is it? I mean, it, you have to think about all of them at the same time. Yeah, uh, it, it's It's not a matter of pleasing the user and making it the best case for the user It's about, <laughs> well, if you're running a business, it means that you can't spend too much money making it as good for the user, but you make it good enough. Well, exactly, yeah. And then mm-hmm. now, now you've gone into mm-hmm. the supply side of things as well, mm-hmm. because what we mix up all the time is the supply side economics and the demand side economics. That The cost of producing the product, so programming hours mm-hmm. or you know, design or whatever it is, all the bits that go into making something, that's the supply side. That, that determines our costs which then effectively, at the end of the day, says, mm. is it worth doing this or not? 
if it's going to take too many hours, it's not worth us doing because we know that, or we have an idea mm. that the consumer is not willing to mm. pay it. Why are they not willing to pay it? Because the utility they derive from the product isn't high enough to meet the price that our costs dictate. Mm -hmm. That's that's demand and supply. Um, so so we talk about lowering mm. costs, which is good because it lowers mm. your cost curve. Mm. Um, but at the same time, we need to do we can we can I suppose not cheat, but we can we can bump up the the um, um, the indifference curve for the for the for the purchaser for the, so where how much satisfaction they get from using stuff mm -hmm. by making it more usable right so why aren't people paying more attention to the concept of utility i mean it's an old school economics term that's that's a good question mm -hmm. i mean I don't, when did we when did businesses mm -hmm. basically stop understanding economics mm -hmm. um i mean this is how it's always mm -hmm. been that you you know you make a better product mm -hmm. and people get more satisfaction from it they buy more of it for anyone who's ever watched mad men i think my theory is that at some point in the 60s, then people realized, well, if I make a big enough ad, uh, a TV advertisement or a big enough ad in a mm. magazine, then people will actually buy the product. Yeah. And that was enough. That was enough. Put your ad in the yellow pages and people would buy. Mm. And then we left that era and now people have to get back to actually producing stuff that works and is good for them. But I don't think we have mm. left it. Because mm. like, what I've been babbling about mm. is, is kind of classical economic theory mm. and it's, 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 got, it's full of holes. I mean, I used to get into trouble at university by pointing mm. out all the holes. I, mm -hmm. I didn't like it, and that's why I got more into um, behavioral economics at university. Mm -hmm. um, is that things like you need perfect market information, which doesn't really exist. Right. We're getting closer to it now with the internet, but it doesn't really exist. Um, and, and things like marketing and branding, they make they make use of the um, um, of the of the lack of information. Mm you're pulling the wool over people's eyes. You're tricking them into thinking your product's the best because they don't right. know enough about all the other yeah, products. But, but people are always irrational. So my understanding yeah. of the concept of utility is that from my point of view, mm. so e even if I do understand that it's better for me to go to the gym than eat this chocolate bar, mm. then the utility I get right now from this chocolate bar it's higher. trumps the... Yeah. 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 That's how it comes out. Exactly. Mm. So utility doesn't mean <laughs> it's logical. Uh, necessarily, but it means no. God no. So it's very emotional, which mm. ties together a lot with UX. I think. Yeah, yeah. No, you mm. can't separate mm. it. Mm. You, you can't. Yeah. You can't separate because utility mm. is how we decide whether we're going to buy something or not. Mm. So you can't separate the UX mm. from it. Mm. So, so that's why I'm wondering: we, is it necessary this discussion about you know putting UX labeling it and saying we need to put UX on the forefront mm. and and companies need to care more about UX? Isn't is this down to the fact that companies have lost a little bit of of the of the why? Why are they doing things? Mm -hmm. you know, do they understand that they're meant to be producing stuff that people consume? You know, for, right. So once again, it's it sounds like we're okay. So if we make it pretty enough and usable enough, then people will buy it. Just placing an ad in the paper would do. Mm. Uh, so you're right. We haven't really gotten to the core of why we're producing stuff and, um, for, and for whom and I think I mean, I've been, that's something I've been thinking mm. about is, is just the whole you know companies have visions and all the rest of it mm. and I think a lot of time the company visions mm. they're also more describing mm. still what they do mm. and, and and don't really mm. people don't really understand why they're doing stuff yeah so yeah. I don't think you, I don't think you produce good stuff unless you really really properly understand why yeah true yeah have I, actually have, I have I talked about the article at all, really? I just babbled about you, economics. You babbled about the, this uh, this quote. <laughs> it was interesting, though. I never, I didn't know it would take this route. <laughs> well, no, but there's, there's another. I mean, there's more quotes in the article too. Yeah. Um, one of them is the experience you create for your users is just as important as the service you provide. No, the experience you create for your users <laughs> is the service you provide. Hmm. 
yeah, it's part of it. But, I, but yeah. that said, though, I do I do agree with a lot of points about um, you know investing in UX, um, testing, uh, fixing UX issues as early as you can find them, mm-hmm. and and um, and so on. I mean, there's, there's there's some good advice in the takeaways and so on. Mm-hmm. I just thought I got I got all hung up on economics. There, there, yeah, <laughs> well, it was really interesting. Uh, there is one beef I have with the article that I wanted to mention just before we move on. Is uh, he's saying that. Uh, if you go too far, you actually have to redo a lot of the code. Mm. So what I do sometimes, I actually do make some high-fidelity prototypes, and you have to redo them. Mm. Uh, but sometimes you need the high-fidelity to actually get people to understand how this will work in the real world. You need interactions. You need things to move around in, in the way that it will eventually do. Mm. And you have to be prepared always to go back and redo and recode some stuff. And Because if you're not prepared to do that then you're not working in an iterative way yeah and also it's your it's your call or mm. what you need to feel confident mm. there is that that extra investment is worth it yeah that that you're not creating unnecessary costs mm. as, as, as you know as long as you're as long as you're doing something mm. that's got some value and is going to you know push this thing forward mm. in a positive way mm. in a bigger way than mm. how much it's cost you in time and effort to do that great right. do it so i think that what he's really saying is that it's minimum viable product again. You need to mm. the least amount of energy that you can put into building something that will give you enough information to make mm. the next decision. Yeah, and I've just realised that mm. I've kind of yeah by going on about us, um, utility, mm. I've said that the only thing you need to do is uh, create enough utility in your product or service exactly to to out, out you know give more utility than you than everything else that you would consume. Yes, or your competitors. Yes, so it's about minimums. Mm. Fantastic. <laughs> mm. Let's move on. Yep. Design thinking comes of age. Uh, so this is an article uh, uh, that was from the September 2015 issue of Harvard Business Review. Uh, and John Kolko, who, whose workshop I attended actually at UXLX in 2013, uh, he, he likes to talk a lot about uh, design synthesis and creating uh, order out of chaos. Uh, he's, he's describing in this article his observations on how the principles of design are becoming more integrated in, 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 in enterprises. So, And he doesn't mean just that design is becoming more accepted, but that people are finding new ways to work. So in essential, an essential cultural shift of sorts. And the, the trend then is a response to increased complexity of tech and business. Think about how much tougher it is to reinvent a healthcare delivery system than to design a shoe, is what he says. Mm. So we're, we're becoming more complex. All organizations, mm. what we're building is becoming more complex. And in order for people to function in these environments, they need to make sense of them. And that's where design thinking comes in. And the design thinking principles that he brings up are that empathy, prototyping, and uh, tolerance of failure. And we just talked about tolerance of failure, that you need to be able to fail to move on. Mm. You need to try stuff in order to learn from them. You need to prototype. Uh, so people are allowed to observe uh, users and draw conclusions uh, more and more in the enterprise, I think. And uh, the concept of touch points is more well-known. And he also mentions uh, customer journey maps as tools for understanding and helping people finding and finding new perspectives uh, on how to look at how the process of building a product or service works. Uh, one interesting quote that I, I saw in the article is we've been talking a lot about where does UX end and where mm-hmm. does the business start uh, or where, where's the difference? But uh, this is a quote from Bridget van Kralingen, 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 <laughs> the senior vice president of IBM Global Business Services. Uh, and she's saying, there's no longer any real distinction between business strategy and the design of the user experience, which, which is interesting. 
So what are the challenges that he's saying? Well, is it this easy? Is you actually becoming an integral part of an organization? Well, if it if it's going to work, it actually needs to change the culture. There needs to be a cultural shift in the organization. We've talked to Lisa Welchman about this before. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, but but he also makes a good point when he says so. It's difficult, if not impossible, to understand how much value will be de- delivered through a better experience, or to calculate return on on investment in creativity. And this is what organizations struggle with all the time. We don't know the value uh, of of the of what we're building uh, on the emotional level. But I like how this actually ties in what you were saying just previously mm. now about utility. Utility is how we could help measure how the design thinking pr- promotes the business and promotes the product development. Well, how, yeah. No, I, I re- realize as well now after babbling about economics that yeah. much of it's into this. That I, um, I see this, this, this fits in with the supply side that we mentioned a moment ago, that yeah. um, design thinking and, and enabling organizations in this modern world, which is complex and requires a lot of understanding and tolerance, that that's the kind of stuff which helps you, I suppose, buy more room um, in your costs, um, so that you can, you know, you've got space to to produce things yeah. without burning up all the the utility that um, right. people are getting from it and willing yeah. to pay for it. That you you um, you can't spend an endless amount of time mm. understanding and 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 um, producing. Mm. Um, it's um, but it but it's necessary. I, I like the fact that he says about um, um, the. The core, one of the core principles of design thinking is um, um, is that people need to understand. Mm-hmm. They've got to they've got to understand the environments that they're that they're in um, in order to make sense of them. Mm-hmm. Um, in order, for, sorry, in order for people to function, they have to make sense of the environments they're in. Um, exactly. Um, which is. Which is yes. Yeah, so again, thinking about the supply side rather than the demand side. We, we, we talked in the first article purely, almost purely, about how we as consumers make decisions. But here, we're, we're, um, John's talking about um, how we how we work internally in order to produce stuff in, a, in an efficient manner, um, so that we actually get stuff done. Exactly, and just the acceptance of of artifacts. I'm I'm seeing that in the, in the organizations I'm working with that. Uh, he's talking here about prototypes uh, and uh, customer journey maps, but even any- anything that you can put on the wall that helps people understand—I call them artifacts. Mm. Uh, even you might some sort of personas, but they're not real personas. Just tidbits of information that makes you realize what people really want from your business. You, it could be clippings from magazines. You put them up on the wall, and people realize, okay, so this makes me understand how people out there are reacting to what we are building. Um, and this is a much, much better of commu- way of communicating ideas than the uh, traditional requirement specifications of uh, of Christmas past. Mm. Uh, but he also ties in what we were talking about before when we we're saying that UX is not the be all and end all of of, uh, of a business. We need other tools. So uh, design also needs to get out of the, get out of the way. Is what he's saying. Mm. Um, it helps you understand the complexity uh, of what you're building and how you're building it. Uh, so it's great for innovation. But we need the other tools for optimizing, streamlining, and uh, otherwise operating a stable business. Uh, we need to understand the monetary value of what we're building. We need to understand uh, how much we, money we can put into stuff uh, mm. because we need to understand how much we get back from what we're building. Yeah, I think... Now it made me think mm. about 
processes and how, especially in large organisations, you end up with all this, um, this, all this attention on improving the process. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people kind of work on, on making processes more effective. You have management you know, um, consultants coming in mm-hmm. to kind of say, look at processes, mm-hmm. analyse them and work out what mm-hmm. you can do it better. Mm-hmm. And it feels like quite often during those processes or those, um, those change uh, process improvement processes, they lose sight of what the process was about. Yes, that they they, yeah. they 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 kind of forget mm. why the process turned up in the first mm. place. Mm. I mean, fitting in with what we think about mm. with UX and, and user needs, mm. a process existed in the first place because it solved an internal business problem, mm. and then over over maybe a long period of time, mm. it's developed into something that's maybe not as effective mm. anymore. It it feels like it's ineffective because it's it's not scaled maybe mm. well with the organisation. But during that work, I think I say, mm. quite often it feels like they, they've lost that initial, okay, why did we start doing this? Yes. Back to the why again. But why on a different level. Mm. Now it's why, process-wise. Mm. I'm relating this to the project I'm working in now, and it's so mm. true. Uh, if you work in a project for two, two and a half years almost, uh, then you tend to forget perhaps why you started building it. Or why you chose place. a certain tool or even why you so- chose a certain mm. um, design tool or, sorry, um, process. I mean, I don't yeah. know how you have it with, with Agile mm. and how you mm. split it with, mm. with that kind of process, mm. but you might have had one particular week where um, a certain format of a workshop or a, a meeting worked really well then, exactly. two years ago. Yeah. And you've maybe reused it, mm. but it's become a habit of just reusing it mm. and maybe you've lost track of the initial... Why were we doing it? Spark. Yeah. Like, yeah. What was it that made this such a good fit the first yeah. time? And it becomes a it becomes mm. a dead process rather than rather than a, 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 mm. a correct match for the mm. in, you know the pr- problem that you had to solve right. as part of your production. Mm. It also works the other way because one, I've been working in the Agile Scrum projects uh, for many years now, and uh, the biggest biggest benefit of it is the stand-up in the mornings uh, mm. when we all get to talk about uh, what we're going to be doing during the day, what problems we have, and listen to other people discuss what, how we can help them. Uh, God, who'd, who'd thought that talking to each other was, oh, uh, was such a, a good tool? interesting concept, actually, communication. <laughs> and um, now we've been sitting in the same room for so long, we've realized we've stopped, we've tended to stop doing those stand-ups in the same way that we've done them before. All right. Because we feel that we know each other so well now. Mm. But... That wasn't what the stand-up was doing. It wasn't helping us to get to know each other. It was actually helping us to communicate. You've been married too long as, as a project team. <laughs> yes. You've been married too yes, long. Yes, I think so. You've started, to, you've started to kind of take certain things for granted. Oh, my God, that's so true. You need to divorce them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you tell them I'm I hope they're not listening. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. No, but that's, that's interesting mm. reflection. Yeah, same, well, it's the same mm. reflection, but re- repacking yeah, different exactly. way. Yeah, yeah. John talks an awful lot about this, you know, feelings, emotions, mm. rather than numbers. Mm. But but it, but I think there inside there is a, is a lot of process. Why behavioural economics is cool and I'm not. Um, this is um, a medium post by Adam Grant, um, and Adam is um, a professor at the Wharton School of Business and the author of um, Give and Take, which was a business bestseller from um, a couple of years ago. Adam um, lists in this article some of his um, favourite surprising studies, um, such as people um, are, li- are more likely to buy jam when presented with six flavours to choose from than if they're presented with 24. 
Um, and another example is um, people conserve, conserve more energy, so they use less energy if they're made aware of how much their neighbours are consuming. Um, but then he goes on to reveal to us that, that these studies um, are all presented by the media as being by behavioural econom- um, economists. Mm. But in reality, they're all by psychologists. Right. So Adam then moves on to um, say that he's an organisational psychologist, but he's regularly introduced as being a behavioural economist. Mm. And then there's a quote from, from um, well, uh, a client, I guess, um, Ah, your work sounds cooler if you're called a behavioural economist. Mm. So you know, psychology isn't sexy enough, apparently. So Adam then um, offers us mm. six reasonably fun hypotheses as to why this might be the case, why um, behavioural economics is more cool than um, psychology. So the six, um, no, five, six, it's five, it's five or six, Five, I think it is. Um, hypothesis. I'll, I'll quickly go through them. Um, behavioural economic, um, economists are hotter than psychologists, mm-hmm. um, which he says is false. Um, they've done a survey about that, and apparently they're not. They're more attractive. Psychologists are number ten. Economists on place thirty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, behavioural economi- uh, economists. I keep saying behavioural economics. Um, behavioural economists do more interesting work than psychologists. Um, uh, no, this apparently also is false. Mm-hmm. Um, that the then um, the reason gives there is that two of the um, so Dan and Dan, um, two famous um, psychologists, actually had books and a lot of accolades for doing so-called economics books. Mm. But these are psychologists. Dan Ariely and Daniel Kahneman. Yeah. Um, behavioral economists do more interesting work than psychologists who aren't named Dan. <laughs> That's a false one. Um, behavioural econ- um, economists. Uh, one one time now, I'm actually going to say econ- e- economics or economists the right way around. This is a tongue twister. Yeah, well, the thing is, it keeps changing between them. So, <laughs> hypothesis four, which I'm going to read now. This is behavioural economics. Mm-hmm. Sounds less obvious than psychology. Mm-hmm. That is true. Um, behavioural mm-hmm. economics is viewed as more rigorous than psychology. Uh, so this also, he says, is true. That when people think of economics or economists... Oh, I can't say this today, can I now? I've, I've said so, it too many times in the beginning of the show. Hypothesis six is behavioural economist is harder to say than psychologists. <laughs> exactly, we're going to add our own one. Um, so, so when people think of like, economists, they think of... Uh, they picture smart people crunching numbers. Um, but when they think of psychology, um, they picture Sigmund Freud lying on a couch telling them they failed the driving test because they failed to kill their fathers and sleep with their mothers. Mm. Um, Very true. a quote. That's completely true. <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, what um, what um, Dan um, Kahneman from Thinking Fast and Slow suggests is that we should stop drawing major boundaries between fields and just call ourselves behavioural scientists. Mm. Mm. Now, this 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 is not really a UX article at all. It's no, but it brings to mind a lot of the things we're talking about within UX. I, I really enjoyed reading this, and when you mm. sent it to me, I didn't think we'd be including it on the show. But then we realised, well. The way we're talking about it, this is exactly the type of article people should be reading because then you realize that it's not only our industry that has problems with these labels, uh, labels and, and titles and what you're going to be calling yourself and uh, what other people call you as well. Yeah, The, li- the lines in the sand are, are, are not clear for mm. many different um, branches. Mm. And um, it's, not, it's not just us that have this kind of internal battle about mm. what's UX and different parts mm. of UX and where, where does UX and product management mm. meet and clash mm. and... and Strategy and oh, wireframes, mm. interaction mm. design, mm. service uh, design, product oh. strategy. And sometimes when I when I meet people and they say, yeah, "I'd really love to get into UX," how do you do that? Do that? And mm. they, they explain to me what they're doing today, 
And they basically do UX. They just call themselves something else, like a planner mm. or product strategist or whatever. Mm. And there's just not that huge of a difference. Mm. I think, and we talk, uh, we've talked already today about how UX is ingrained mm. in the fabric of business mm. um, and has to be. Mm. And hopefully, going to become more apparent, um, more aware of that again. Um, but, um, um, but we. Uh, we, we still, I think we chat with Simon about mentioned this that, that mm. certain parts of UX of UX has maybe better branding than UI, mm. for example. Like it's not as sexy anymore to, to be a UI designer. Yeah. But if you're a UX designer, well, suddenly you know the job posts are there and you kind of you, right. know, you get gigs. A lot more sexy. Yeah, that's exactly what they're saying here. With mm. you know, if you post a, 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 a an article or an article is mm. written about your book or whatever, if you class it as um, mm. well, behavioral economics, mm. then the business people buy it. Mm. But if you call it like a psychological study no you're not gonna it's not gonna fly off the shelves at the airport interesting <laughs> <clears throat> even though it's the psychologists yeah. that are doing them in, in many cases yes of course <coughs> uh, and i i realize that that tends to happen is I'm, I'm more and more feeling that i i'm doing so much more than what people uh, incorporate into the term ux but i i use the term because that that's what people grasp onto and then once i get in i can explain mm. what i really do so perhaps i shouldn't feel so feel that it's so important to me perhaps i should just be happy that okay there's a term that people can relate to and get me a foot in the door and then i can talk to them about what we're, what's really going on mm. yeah. yeah i mean how much of it is branding mm. that's that's necessary mm. but thinking back to 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 the earlier articles in the show as well about um, organizational change and and making organizations more aware of ux and um, empathy and so on to, to produce better products mm. and and then very beginning talking mm. about um utility and marginal mm. utility and, and how, how much satisfaction we get from consuming the, the digital services and products that we create. Mm. Um, how, how, much, how much branding of UX do we need to, to, to make progress in our journey to mature mm. the industry? Yeah. Um, whereas how, and how much can we just ignore? I mean, do, do, do psychologists need to present themselves as, behavior, as behavioral econo um, economists? in order to, to, to progress the industry. Mm. I'm thinking, so it depends on what your goals are. If, you, if your goals are getting speaking gigs at conferences and you're <laughs> a psychologist, then you call yourself a behavioral economist, economist because yeah. that's, you're doing it now. That, that's what people are going to, <laughs> going to uh, be, well, get people to buy tickets yeah. and get people to hire you. Yeah. Obviously, right now, that's the case. Hmm. It's funny because we were tweeting earlier today, I know, with Natalie Nahai. Oh, yeah. And she calls herself, or called herself previously, the web psychologist. She steps back a little bit from, yeah. from that now. So um, I got, that got me thinking when we were reading this, that maybe mm. psychologist isn't just hitting home anymore in the same way that it has. It's maybe a little bit too mm. white coat mm. and Brian Massey um, mm. for, for, um, mm. for the branding to work, mm. um, as well as maybe they'd hoped. I don't know. Interesting point. And whereas behavioral economics is something that you can use because it, it feels that you're contributing to the bottom line of a, of a business. It, it, there's money involved. Yeah, well, like the, um, um, one, of the, one of the points uh, was about the fact that, um, yeah, it feels you think of, of numbers and you think of, mm. of, of scientific, more, more yeah. scientifically based calculations, whereas mm. psychology is, mm. is, is fluffy. Right. And, and fluffy stuff doesn't mm. work. But oh, 
Uh, but that's not really true. Right. But, but it's, UX it's the perception. Is, UX is fluffy too, but then you can have like... But UI isn't, mm. you see. That, mm. that's, in, that's in our own internal thing yeah. there. We've got, we've got concrete artifacts mm. that we produce, mm-hmm. but yet we've got very fuzzy um, things that we, we, mm. we research and produce as well, or, or relatively mm. fuzzy in, in the way it, it, it mm. seems and feels. Mm. Um, although that said, mm. we're, one of the articles we didn't include today was, was sort of talking about um, hypotheses and hypothesis building. Yes. And we, we mentioned that a fair bit, mm. and it's a, it's, a, it's a very important tool, and it's something that's increasingly important. Mm. And, and that's something that's used in both behavioural economics and psychology, because yeah. they're more scientifically based um, industries or branches of, of science. And it's something that people who call themselves uh, conversion optimis- mm. optimizers are or, better at. Or data scientists, maybe. Right. Even. Um, da- mm. Oh, data scientists. Mm. Uh, all of them working within the broader term of UX, I think. Mm. Uh, but finding these terms to differentiate themselves and to approach customers with their ideas. And many of these, of course, then are the same ideas that we all have, but the clients don't know that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So it's 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 all in the eye of the beholder. I think it's uh, if people want to call me this or that, it shouldn't be that important as long as I am able to uh, work in the customer centric way that I want to. That they have the confidence that I will uh, help them uh, get uh, products and services in front of the user that give the user utility that go. they want uh, that helps them make the decision to just choose that product or service over another over another the choices yeah. yeah good wow there we go <laughs> so the end of our three articles for today um, and um, well before you switch off mm-hmm. I know some of you keep on listening at this point <laughs> um Another reminder again for our um, listener phone-in. Yes. Which, um, if you, well, you'll be listening to this, it will be in a few hours, mm-hmm. possibly. If, uh, yeah. So two o'clock um, Central European time. On the Friday of December 11th. Well, I think you had those words in the wrong order, Per. Friday of the December the 11th. Isn't it Friday the 11th of December? Say it once again and they'll remember it. Uh, it's like behavioural economics. <laughs> Um, So you can find us pretty much everywhere as UX Podcast, uh, including uxpodcast.com, where you'll find all the links and stuff mentioned in this show, plus an archive of all our previous episodes. Mm -hmm. If you've enjoyed UX Podcast, then we're happy. We've got our utility that we need from this podcast. Awesome. And I hope our marginal utility doesn't decrease with time. It hasn't so far. (laughs) Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. (laughs) 